Welcome, everyone. Uh, very good to have you here. Last time we uh, uh, leapt through quite a bit of the beginning of Judges. Today I'm going to slow down. I'm going to take care of just two men, Ehud and Shamgar. Who knows anything about Ehud and Eglon? Say that again. Something sharp and about yay long. So I think I think I think that Balin would have called it a letter opener in the Hobbit. But uh, anyway, that was a joke that went past everybody in this room, isn't it? Okay, let's just go on. All right, very good. Yeah. Bilbo's sword was too small to be anything else. Yeah. All right. After the time of Othniel, after which the people had 40 years of rest, now we come to verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the, the people keep falling down. They keep going back to their evil ways. And consider the culture that they lived in. That I'm going to say that all the artwork, the stories, the news, the music, the entertainment was all based around the pagan mythology of the Canaanites. So everything around Israel was centered around this Canaanite stuff. And after a while, it just becomes part of your culture, your way of thinking, your way of talking. You begin to... It just becomes part of who you are after a while because they hadn't driven it all out. And they fall down again, and they fall down again, and again, and again. After a while, if it's all that's on the radio, you begin to forget about Beethoven, Bach, and Brahms, and you start to listen to all that jazz, right? And so forth. So, Sorry, Beethoven, Bach, and Brahms were great Lutheran composers. Let's just go on. All right. I like jazz. Let's go on. So the Lord strengthens Eglon. Eglon is a name that appears in other sources as, as the name of certain Amorite kings. It means um, bull calf. Uh, so it's just a, just, but a, a fairly common name. Um, and how did he get across the Jordan River? This is not Eglon crossing the Jordan. Um, but he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and they went and defeated Israel. Uh, they took, and there also, I'm sure there wasn't that much ice on the Jordan. In fact, on, was it Christmas Eve when Washington crossed the Delaware? Would there have been ice chunks that big in New Jersey on Christmas Eve? I mean, maybe in February, but Christmas Eve? Anyway, let's just go on. So, the people of Israel, they, they, they took possession of the city of Palms. This is Damascus. I'm sorry, not, uh, Jericho, the city of Palms, as it is uh, just a few years ago. And uh, uh, very lush, very green, lots of palm trees. Jericho is also famous uh, as, uh, because of its name, which means city of the moon. Uh, Jericho is one of the cities that is, has the lowest um, point 
below sea level on Earth, very close to the Jordan in that deep rift valley. And uh, there the heat comes shimmering off of the city and up into the air. And as, as you look up from Jericho, the moon will be amplified. It'll look bigger than it does like here in New Ulm or just up in Jerusalem. So the moon is almost twice as big in Jericho as it is anywhere else on earth. Kind of cool. Uh, so also known as the city of the moon. And the people of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. A long time. Eglon is no longer a young man by the time the story actually takes place. So 18 years after they've crossed the Jordan, whether they did it in boats at flood stage or fording over the shallow parts when it was high summer, whatever it was, it's now 18 years later. Is that clear enough? So it was a long time ago. And now there are all kinds of, of uh, Moabites, I'll say over here on the West Bank um, in, uh, in Israel. But when the people of, the, is, of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. So uh, uh, the, the people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, king of Moab. Probably because Benjamin is right there, not very far from uh, um, Jericho, close by. So they, the, this guy was in charge this year, or maybe each year it was a different guy. Could that be? that they sent a different guy from a different tribe every year or whatever, but it was his turn, and he goes down there. Um, left-handedness is mentioned a couple times in the Bible. Uh, every time we meet someone who is left-handed, he is from the tribe of Benjamin. It is also a curiosity to me that every time in the Bible we meet someone named Saul, he is also from the tribe of Benjamin, including Paul, the apostle. So all the lefties, all the Sauls are from Benjamin. Um, the Benjamites were known as great uh, slingers. They were good at, at uh, whipping stones and stuff like that. Um, and as archers in other places in the Bible. So the word here for deliverer is not Messiah, but it is Moshiach. Um, Messiah is Messiah, but Moshiach ugh, is uh, just means deliverer. They're different words. They're spelled differently. They may sound a little bit similar to you, but they're not. Uh, but he's some kind of deliverer, not the anointed one, but a guy who is there to rescue or help the people. Ehud made for himself. You know, I did. I had all kinds of extra pictures that are in, that didn't make it into the slides. I'm sorry, but he made for himself a sword with two edges a cubit in length, and he girded it on his right thigh under his clothes. So how do you make a sword? Well, this was not the Iron Age yet. It was still the old Bronze Age. So the recipe for bronze, every smith knows, is 15 parts tin to 85 parts copper. Um, a little bit more, a little bit less. You might add something, but that's basically it, 15 to 85. When you mix those together and then you uh, basically push down in a special kind of sand uh, known as green sand or gray clay, uh, you make a, 
uh, a little indentation, either with somebody else's sword, or you make a little uh, wooden model, or something like that, or, or, or just use slats of wood or something like that. You push that down, pour the, the bronze onto it, and let air and cooling do its work. Uh, as soon as it's solid enough to lift, you probably just shove it into a into some a tub of water, and then you begin to edge it uh, with something a rasp or something like that, or a stone uh, to give it a sharp blade on both sides. Ehud's sword would not have had a cross piece or quillins. So typically, on a sword, you have I don't have anything. Here we go. There, you would have uh, a blade and a handle and then something like that across the, across the handle. Um, we would think of that as pr maybe protecting your hand as you're fencing or dueling or something like that. That did not become commonplace until later Greek times, uh, maybe Roman times. But now, typically, the swords that have been found were also like primitive Viking swords. They didn't have anything. They were just a grip and then the blade. So not really anything else going on there. Those things are called, did I tell you that it's called a quillins or a cross piece? Quillins, more narrow ones for like a rapier or a fencing sword, and a cross piece for more of a, of a, of a fighting, actual fighting battle sword. A cubit, everybody, everybody hold up your cubit. How big is it? Elbow to fingertip. 18 inches or so, that's your cubit. So that's how long this thing was. So he grip it down here and that's about how much there is. And then why would he gird it on his right thigh under his clothes? Left-handed and the guards wouldn't be looking for a weapon there. So they might pat him down, you know, pat his uh, left thigh, because most guys are right-handed and so forth. You're not, he's, he isn't, he's not packing anything, sire. So, okay, let him in. So there you go. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. These are uh, either Israelite or Phoenician traders. Notice their beards and their uncut hair. Um, going to an Egyptian master. You see the Egyptian on the far right. They're bringing in a goat and an ibex and some bows and arrows and stuff like that. So these, they, were, they were going to Eglon. Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away, that is Ehud, sent away the people that carried the tribute. So they leave. And the tribute was probably made up of um, produce, uh, olives, uh, uh, dates, uh, fruit, uh, very, nuts, pistachios, very common in Israel. Uh, I, I, when did I preach the pistachio sermon? Was that quite a while ago? The pistachio music of the, I think that was an Easter sermon. The pistachio music of the resurrection. When pistachios ripen right around Easter time, they pop and crackle up in the trees. So it's time. The graves are opening, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, other things. My son Peter just came back from Israel last Sunday, just in time to help clean up Eric's graduation party. And uh, he said that he didn't like, did not like the big uh, green olives, 
but that Israel's black olives, which he said are really brown, are really very tasty. So he got a taste for that. Uh, I hope that doesn't mean I have to go to some weird store like Aldi for special olives or something. I don't know. Those specialty stores. I don't know. They're not. The men in my family buy groceries at Menards. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so uh, they, they carry all this tribute, uh, and then he sends them away. So it's just Ehud, and it's King Eglon and his men. Uh, but he himself turned back at the sculptured stones near Gilgal. I'm going to come back to that. He, he went away, and then he comes back. So his guys are pretty far. They're, it's the next town over. Then he comes back, and he says, I've got a secret message for you, O king. Ooh. So the Eglon commands silence. He's pandering to Eglon's sense of, what, self-worth or whatever. I, I, I get a secret. You know, it's, you know, who doesn't love a secret? Although, I don't know. A message for you from your bank. I don't know, some secrets you don't want to know. But, uh, okay. Or from, or from, yeah, yeah. Wait, sorry, Laura, wait till you get uh, those, those MVL uh, emails. Because um, a computer generates those. And it doesn't matter what the actual truth is. The computer will send you an email instantly. Student failing assignment. And if the teacher is just late getting the grades in, the computer sends it anyway. So, wow, it's it just, oh, you're... Um, I hope my ulcers are gone soon, but uh, nine years of that. So anyway, that ended on Sunday with one sermon. Okay. Now he's in college. It's just whatever happens. Okay. Anyway, the king commanded silence and all his attendants went out from his presence. Ehud tricks Eglon into one-on-one -on -one alone time. Wise for a king? To give somebody one-on-one -on -one alone time? Teddy Roosevelt's attempted assassination in Milwaukee. Garfield's assa assassination on the steps of, was it the, the, the State House or wherever that was? Lincoln's assassination was almost as private as you can get. It was just in a box at the theater. Kennedy's assassination. Nobody was one-on-one -on -one with the guy. Um, why would you go one-on-one? -on -one? Even Julius Caesar was surrounded by the Senate. And they all had a knife. But, uh, yeah, so that's here. Now this guy goes down to one-on-one. -on -one. Oh, I wanted to show you, as long as we're going to do the stones in a second, Gilgal, Jericho, and there's Moab right there. So this is the proximity, proximity of everything. Gilgal to Jericho is maybe... From here to uh, to uh, High V, two miles, right? Should I say High V or should I say uh, Pizza Ranch? Which one makes you happier? So okay, or should I say Green Mill? Whatever, but you know, same thing. Okay, and also the stones. This, these are not the standing stones at Gilgal, but there were some kind of standing stones at Gilgal. Some. Some uh, commentators think that those stones are a quarry, but 
uh, Moses and Joshua did, or Moses, rather Joshua put stones up at Gilgal when the river rolled up, when Israel did cross into the promised land. They put up a heap of 12 stones. Gilgal means rolled up. So uh, the, the gal, a uh, root in Hebrew, means a rolling or a ball of some kind or something round. Golgotha, hill of the skull, the round bald thing. Yeah, so, uh, okay. So that's where, that's where he came back from. Now, after, and Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. A house with an upper room, pretty common in scripture. Um, can you name two upper rooms besides this one? You can name one. The upper room, right, with a capital U. Probably a neon sign. Clinking, clink, clink. Also, Elijah and Elisha both had upper room time with various widows. Um, uh, Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. What was the message made of? Bronze. Yeah, sharpened. And uh, I, I'm... I'm um, I've been made aware that there are some ministers in other denominations who have made this whole thing an allegory where, oh, the sharp two-edged sword of the word of God is what went into Eglon. Well, a sharp two-edged sword went into Eglon, but it wasn't the sharp two-edged sword of the word of God. It was the sharp two-edged sword of bronze, the Awi kind. Um, uh, uh, so he, and, and then in Hebrew, there, this doesn't quite do it justice. He arose from his seat. I should have done better. He hefted himself up from his seat. Sorry. Question? <laughs> Caught her. Let's move on to the pictures while Barb talks. Okay, so... Uh, typical uh, uh, smaller family home would have an upper room. You see that this one in the, in the near corner also has a manger. There's, I see, a, a goat, a dog, or maybe it's a lamb, a sheep, and a, probably a donkey. Um, the, and by the way, the roof and the wall have been cut away so you can see it. But then there are some inner chambers here and there. The family's dining room to the to the uh, left, the kitchen, or, or, or in a, it looks like a loom uh, to the right. Somebody's up on the roof uh, doing something up there. And uh, it looks to me like a paint roller, but I'm sure that's not what it is. Um, then you've got this structure up on top. In this house, it's quite small. I'm sure in the house that Eglon appropriated for himself, it was quite a large affair. Uh, it wouldn't have been in Jericho because they had destroyed Jericho. And now the Moabites moved in and drove the Israelites away from the area of Jericho. I don't know if the Israelites were camped around the ruins of Jericho for a while, but not anymore. The Moabites were, had come. So now that's driven them into the hills. So here, though, we have a roof chamber, maybe with a privy. I'm sorry, you guys know what a privy is? Okay. A chamber pot. A turlet, as uh, Archie Bunker would have said. So, okay. Uh, Archie Bunker's on TV still. 
And now the animation. I hope nobody is squeamish uh, about this, but I'll just read the passage. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword with his right, from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. So, you okay, Barb? Yeah. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, I spent enough time on it that I'm going to show it to you again. Okay. So we'll... There we go. Okay. And, uh, and the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. For he did not draw the sword out of his belly. And the parshadona came out. Um, in, I didn't tell you about this. I, I'll, I'll tell you this now. Parshadona, the, the old translations thought that that meant maybe the sword came out the other side. But Parshadona is more like the offal or the contents of the bowel came out the other end. So the sword went through everything and ugh, came out also. Okay. When I was, uh, Bethany, how old are you? 17. When I was about 19, um, I was, what would that have been, 83? That's about right. Um, I was painting a house in the only Wanakee in the world. And uh, uh, that's its slogan. It was a seven-unit apartment complex. And I was, I was spraying with a sprayer and a, and, a, and a couple of ladders. My brother was doing uh, uh, steel doors in the garage. He was actually wood-graining the steel doors to make them look gorgeous. Uh, my, my brother is the talented artist in my family. Um, we had a cousin doing windows and another cousin coming behind and putting things together and so forth. On the sixth or seventh unit, it started to pour, really pour, rain hard. And we were cutting into the units because they just had plastic over the doors. You know, you take your putty knife and just slash it open and walk in. And the doors would get put on later. I uh, was in a hurry because it was beginning to rain really hard and it was the end of the day. I was tired. I had done five or six of these. And as I was spraying up on the ceiling line with a big, um, there's a big guard that's maybe five feet long with a handle. It looks like the, the world's weirdest putty knife. Um, but that's what you put up against the ceiling line to psh, psh, spray and catch and put the color on the wall and not on the ceiling and so forth. And as I'm coming down the ladder, the, the rain had made the floor wet enough that the ladder slipped. And the sound of a paint sprayer just going off quickly behind you is And I felt the pain. Um, I had injected myself with paint. This was a, a sprayer powerful enough that my brother could write his name on the side of a barn from about 10 feet away with it. And that's what I injected into my side. And uh, Dr. Selfridge told me when I, they got me to the, to the emergency room that if I had been less than an inch lower, it would have cut off, severed off the top of my hip bone, sending fragments into my bowel. And I, it would have been like I was gut shot. I would have died. Um, but as it was, it was more like a piece of plywood. If you get a, a piece of plywood that's like B or C or D grade, there are like these football shapes stamped into it where the knots were. 
that's what they took out of my side. Um, and uh, I still have one paint ship of the color. It's called soapstone. A little bit brighter and yellower than that. Um, and when it's going to rain, I can tell. I get an itch um, in that still today. But uh, so the, the, the pain of the thing going into you really comes later. When it actually happens, in my experience, even when I've cut myself as recently as six days ago, um, cutting whatever I was cutting, something innocuous like eggs or something, but the blade against my finger, the way all stupid dads do, um, slid it open. And that the actual moment is, oh, and then, ow, you know, it, it, it's a, there's a two-pronged attack there. So anyway, Eglon is stabbed. Is that too graphic? I'm sorry. You okay? All right. Use a cutting board. Learn from my mistakes for the rest of your life. Okay. But if you really want a story, ask Pastor Beauvais about slicing his hand open in front of a room full of kids with a, with a fillet knife. Yeah. He's, he's happy to share that story with people. Um, okay. Ehud went out into the vestibule, the outer room, and closed the doors of the roof chamber upon him and locked them. So click, clickety-clack, the doors are locked. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.